Thank you for downloading this podcast from BJOG. This is a podcast of the editorial for the July 2022 issue of BGOG. My name is Patrick Chen. I'd like to highlight the importance of using data from secondary analysis of randomized control trials to guide clinical practice by publishing together a series of articles relating to hypertension during pregnancy. In these cases, it may not be feasible to undertake a further randomized control trial to test a more refined and specific hypothesis due to the lack of equipoise following the reporting of the findings from the original trial. The current first trimester screening tool for preeclampsia uses a combination of maternal clinical risk factors, mean arterial blood pressure, maternal uterine artery pulsatility index, serum pregnancy-associated plasma protein A or PAP-A, and placental growth factor or PIGF, multiple of the median values. Aspirin prophylaxis has been shown to reduce the risk of developing preterm preeclampsia in those women who screen positive for this tool. It was subsequently reported by Zumieta in 2020 that out of the two biomarkers used in this screening tool, PIGF improved the detection rate of preterm preeclampsia in combination with maternal risk factors, mean arterial blood pressure and uterine artery pulsatility index, but PEP-A did not provide any further improvement in this screening performance. Because the predictive ability of first trimester maternal serum PIGF is far more superior to PEP-A, it has been suggested that it is possible to simplify the screening tool by excluding the need to measure the latent biochemical marker. In this study, some of the study subjects were treated with aspirin due to its non-interventional nature. Hence, there was concern that this intervention may bias the result as clinicians will be aware of the maternal serum PEP-A levels as this marker is used in the Down syndrome screening as well. In this issue, Wright and colleagues reanalyzed the data from two previously published studies to assess the predictive performance of PEP-A and PIGF after adjustment for the treatment effect of aspirin in this combined cohort using a multiple imputation method. This study found that the screening performance for preterm preeclampsia improved by 7% with the addition of PIGF to maternal risk factors, mean arterial blood pressure, and uterine artery pulsatility index, but there was no improvement with the addition of PEP-A. Hence, there is confidence that the first trimester screening tool for preterm preeclampsia can be simplified further to exclude the use of PEP-A marker. We have also included a mini-commentary from Chuckle to accompany this article. In women who develop hypertension in pregnancy, there's a need to determine if such patients have preeclampsia, gestational hypertension, or pre-existing chronic hypertension in order to triage the clinical care. Accurate diagnosis of preeclampsia is especially pertinent during the recent COVID-19 pandemic, as features of preeclampsia can also be present and be confused in women with severe SARS-CoV-2 infection with severe pneumonia, as found by Mendoza et al. in their 2020 article. Patients with preeclampsia are more likely to require more intensive monitoring and also to result with an earlier delivery of the fetus. Currently, the point-of-care diagnostic intervention for such triaging is primarily based on the presence or absence of maternal proteinuria using urinary dipstick analysis, 
which is subject to user variation and also found to have a low predictive value for preeclampsia. In this issue, Lau and colleagues evaluated the use of optomic artery peak systolic velocity ratio obtained with pulse wave Doppler ultrasound over closed maternal eyelids to identify those women with preeclampsia, gestational and chronic hypertension after controlling for the effects of maternal age, weight, mean arterial blood pressure and the use of antihypertensive treatment. Women with preeclampsia were found to have significantly higher optomic artery peak systolic velocity ratio compared to those with gestational and chronic hypertension. This finding was present despite the mean arterial pressure being not significantly different between women with preeclampsia and gestational hypertension. The optomic artery peak systolic velocity ratio is therefore potentially a useful point of care antenatal assessment tool for hypertension. However, the cutoff value for normality for the optomic artery peak systolic velocity ratio and the diagnostic attribute of this test have yet to be evaluated before it can be employed into clinical practice. Gonser and colleagues have written a nice mini commentary explaining the pathophysiological changes with the optomic artery velocity waveform in preeclampsia. Such changes have also been reported to be reversed in those women treated with antihypertensive treatment. Our low-risk nulliparous women with gestational hypertension and preeclampsia exposed to adverse maternal and neonatal risks with expectant management after 39 weeks of gestation. Batal and colleagues perform a post-hoc secondary analysis on the expectant management arm of the ARRIVE trial. The main outcome of this study was a composite of adverse maternal outcomes. The secondary outcomes were a composite of perinatal death or severe neonatal events, mode of delivery, small and large for gestational age babies, and the length of stay in the neonatal intensive care unit. In this study, 13.7% of the study population developed gestational hypertension or preeclampsia. Compared to normotensive women, such women are more likely to experience a composite of adverse maternal outcomes and to have a caesarean section delivery. Differences with the other secondary outcomes were not statistically significant between the two groups. The result from this study shows that despite the common belief that gestational hypertension and preeclampsia presenting at term gestation may be relatively mild and benign, there is still a significant amount of additional maternal morbidity associated with it. Furthermore, an increased risk in adverse maternal and perinatal outcomes have also been reported in pregnant women with COVID-19 infection and preeclampsia. Smith, in his mini-commentary, pointed out that instead of employing routine induction of labour at 39 weeks gestation in order to eliminate this morbidity, an alternative approach is perhaps to develop a predictive test for these conditions so that high-risk women can be identified to be triaged and offered induction of labour, and those women who are unlikely to develop any hypertensive disorders of pregnancy can continue to be managed expectantly until 42 weeks of gestation. I thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for listening to this podcast from BJOG. We have been reporting the best research in women's health since 1902. We are keen to hear your views. Tweet us at BJOG Tweets. You can find more podcasts at www.bjog.org.